You're listening to the Scottish Independence Podcast. You're about to listen to a talk and then discussion between Bill Kidd, MSP, a long-time campaigner for nuclear disarmament, and talking to the folk in Yeston Bar. When the discussion happened, the world knew that Mr Putin was gathering his forces on the borders of Ukraine and in Belarus. Despite him saying that he wasn't going to use them, of course, he has. And indeed, he's upped the ante on that by doing a bit of sabre-rattling. At least we hope it's just sabre-rattling. Talking about getting his nuclear weapons readied. So in some ways, since the talk was given, things have moved on. In other ways, the principles that Bill Kidd is talking about, the principles involved in the need to disarm the world of its nuclear weapons, they still stand. What also still stands is the effect it would have on the rest of the UK and the world as a whole when Scotland chooses to be independent and then negotiates with the rest of the UK to remove from our soil. Because there is nowhere else in the UK that could host those weapons. In some ways it's quite a sobering talk, but it's well worthwhile listening to. Uh, Tonight I'd like to welcome the Glasgow Annie's Land MSP, Mr Bill Kidd. He'll be speaking on issues of peace, national security and independence. Uh, Aside from his constituent responsibilities, uh, Bill is also co-president of the Parliamentarians for Nuclear Non-Proliferation and Disarmament, and in whose name I believe he recently wrote a letter to President Joe Biden. Uh, Thanks, Ali. Yep. Um, You know, hope springs eternal. And um, but um, no, I think um, we've a large number of us, um, you know, from across parliaments in NATO existing countries actually wrote this letter expressing hope that the US could take some form of lead with what are known as the P5, Permanent Five on the Security Council. The fact is that the P5, of course, are Permanent Five. They're the only Permanent Five states on the UN Security Council, and all five of them are established uh, nuclear weapons powers. Um, something I've argued against at the UN on a number of occasions, um, that there shouldn't be any um, permanent uh, members of the of the UN Security Council and that a qualification should certainly not be um, that you have nuclear weapons. The UN Security Council, as we all know, was involved very much, obviously, to the centre of the establishment of the Non-Proliferation Treaty um, which has now been in existence for over 50 years. It was supposed to be a review conference taking place in 2020. Uh, unfortunately, obviously, COVID um, overtook that, so it was moved to last year. COVID continued, so it was moved to this April, and now it's been moved to August because the United Nations can't actually staff the, the premises of the United Nations in New York with uh, sufficient bodies um, under the present circumstances that we could actually have that sort of size and uh, depth of um, conference taking place. So now, as I say, it's been moved to August of this year, and I'm very much hoping that it will be able to take place. So because of that uh, coming up, uh, this letter was, um, was put together 
and um, signed, as I say, by a large number of MPs and MSPs uh, um, from across the world, well, across the world in terms of NATO membership. Um, the reason for this was because obviously America is the um, the backbone of NATO, if you can put it that way. And what we wanted was to put forward um, that uh, we want to see a nuclear weapons-free world. But um, I'll just put here that um, let's state clearly that we do not believe that a first use option is in the security interests of our countries or in the interests of NATO as a whole. And we encourage you to take leadership on this issue and we pledge our support. While not detracting from other important nuclear non nuclear risk reduction and arms control measures, we support in particular the adoption of a no first use policy as a vital measure to reduce the risk of a nuclear war and to start phasing out the role of nuclear weapons in security doctrines while maintaining strategic stability. And um, basically what we're talking about is that um, this is a, a step um, which potentially um, uh, a president of the United Nations, of the United States might feel is something that they might want to promote um, in order to in order to promote the US as being um, a country of um, international diplomacy and responsibility and would put the pressure on the other uh, nuclear weapon states um, to look at their positions as well. All of this, I mean, obviously what I want to see and what we all want to see, I suppose, is that there's a world without nuclear weapons. However, um, every step that we can take in that direction is something that we should pursue. Um, because as we stand at the moment, uh, we're on a bit of the edge of a precipice. If you, I mean, <laughs> we all know about what's taking place uh, over in uh, Ukraine and Russia, and also indeed in Belarus. Um, I've got a wee note here that I was just sent, um, which actually says that uh, Beatrice Finn of ICANN, um, when ICANN received the the um, Nobel Peace Prize, Beatrice, who's the head of ICANN, um, was one of the two people who went up to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, but she sent us over that um, she mentions that Lukashenko, uh, the Prime Minister of, of um, Belarus, uh, has proposals to rewrite the Belarusian constitution, which includes removing its nuclear-free pledge. Uh, Belarus signed up to uh, the nuclear free um, pledge and the Treaty of Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And it's now um, looking to remove that from its constitution, uh, rewriting its constitution, um, and it's removed its neutrality clause and uh, showing growing uh, public al uh, alignment with Russia. Now, there's absolutely no reason as to why Belarus can't decide who it wants to show its loyalties to and its, its desire um, to, um, to grow its strength of support for, um, for any country, which obviously includes Russia. However, at the same time as um, removing its nuclear free pledge, this um, sounds like something which is 
puts us on the edge of <clears throat> not being too far away um, of the circumstances we were in um, and back in the early 1960s um, when, you know, uh, the US and the USSR um, were at such loggerheads that there was a threat um, that nuclear weapons could have been used. Um, so we're moving in a difficult international uh, direction. The idea of the, the letter to Biden um, although it went slightly before this, but the idea of the letter to Biden was to help us to, to bring sense and logic to world diplomacy and to help us move towards um, joining together in searching for peace and stability in the world and security without nuclear weapons. Everybody um, is looking for their countries present and future to be secure and um, and uh, so that they're not in fear um, of any war or, uh, or being dominated by other countries. And on that basis, you know, nuclear weapons undermine all of that. So on that basis, we have to actually look to do everything that we possibly can, which can actually bring countries to a logical and sensible approach um, to to the future, um, nuclear weapons, as we all know, are, are such um, a danger that they could actually push us uh, very very rapidly into a situation which would be beyond control. Um, and it's possible um, that this may actually lead someone uh, somewhere or some uh, government somewhere into doing something which takes a step beyond being able to take a step back again. And I think nuclear weapons could actually, could really um, take us beyond the fringe in a very sudden move in the not too distant future. Because to be perfectly honest, when we get to the stage where the UK is, which is a signatory to the Non-Proliferation Treaty, but the UK is blithely going ahead with the idea of increasing uh, the number of nuclear warheads, which it has. Um, and there seems to have been very, very little um, coverage of this media-wise, but it was stated by Prime Minister Johnson that this was their intention. And uh, I didn't actually hear um, other parties, uh, well, I'm talking about Labour Party, I didn't hear them actually standing up and shouting back and saying this is wrong and that this can't be allowed. And it seems to me that there is no future in a British nuclear removal. Uh, the idea that uh, Britain at Westminster will remove the nuclear weapons um is something that is very, very hard to see unless they are pushed into doing so. I'm going around in a wee bit of a circle here in terms of um, where we stand, but um, John Ainsley, um, whom many of you will have known, uh, John died uh, five years ago now, he, but he was the brain in Scotland as far as nuclear disarmament was concerned. And John's work and the logic that he employed and what he said about how we can get rid of nuclear weapons 
um, included the fact that we get nuclear weapons out of Scotland. There is nowhere else on these islands that the UK can put those weapons. Theoretically, in South Wales, uh, there's a possibility, but the only area there that that could actually be done is um, surrounded by uh, gas and oil uh, refineries. And also, um, it doesn't really fit the same profile as what we have on the Clyde, um, where you can have the nuclear submarines based, but you can also very close by have the nuclear warheads um, stored. So, and down in the south of England, where um, people have talked about Plymouth or whatever, it's not practical. Um, a loaded or an armed nuclear submarine could not actually use um, the, the seaways there um, because it wouldn't be able to exit and enter a port. So on that basis, there is nobody else for them. So we get rid of them from Scotland, then the UK ceases to be one of um, the nuclear armed states. The only other two places that have been mentioned um, would be that the UK's nuclear weapons would be kept um, in Georgia and the United States, which just means that they're not the UK's nuclear weapons anymore, um, and the Ile de France um, in, the, uh, in the Channel. Um, and the very idea that France would would stall it would store um, the UK's nuclear weapons is is laughable. It's not going to happen. So, come back to the fact um, that an independent Scotland would be a non-nuclear state. In 2017, I attended the United Nations um, during the discussions and the conference on the establishment of the Treaty um, for Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And I presented the president of the conference with a letter um, from First Minister Nicola Sturgeon saying that Scotland should have been a member, a voting member of the United Nations at that stage and going forward would vote for the establishment of a treaty for the prohibition of nuclear weapons. So we've got a position where Scotland has made its choice, Scotland has made its position clear internationally, and I think that's extremely important, especially, as I say, when you juxtapose that with the present circumstances at Westminster where they're talking about actually expanding against an international treaty, the NPT, but they're talking about actually expanding the number of nuclear warheads um, which, which Britain actually holds. So I think it's very important that um, we look at how we can take this message out to into the general public. Myself, as a convener of the Scottish Parliament's cross-party group on nuclear disarmament, along with Scottish CND and, and uh, ICANN, the, the International Campaign Against Nuclear Weapons, we um, have ensured that the majority of MSPs in the current and previous parliamentary sessions signed the ICANN Parliamentary Pledge committing Scotland to the signing of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And we've had debates in the Scottish um, Parliamentary Chamber. All, we've had three that I have spoken in anyway. Um, and in all three, 
the majority of um, MSPs, and that's across parties other than um, the Tory party, the majority have actually gone for nuclear uh, disarmament and the removal of nuclear weapons from Scotland. So it's the mood. It's It always has been since the nuclear weapons were placed in Scotland, and it continues to be so that we should have nuclear weapons removed from our land and waters. I think it's important that this is dialogue that we in, that we take part in here rather than rather than somebody um, you know giving us giving us the word from on high. I think that we should actually have everyone involved in talking about nuclear disarmament because that's the way forward here in Scotland. That's the way forward across the world. I met Ban Ki Moon. Uh, the former Secretary General of the UN, I was very, very impressed by his commitment to a world without nuclear weapons. That from the day that he entered uh, the role until the day that he left it, that was front and front and foremost. All of his uh, debate and style and all of his speeches was about a world in unison and in unison against nuclear weapons. And I think it's very important that here in Scotland, that resonates so strongly that we should make sure that the rest of the world knows that Scotland believes in this. So I'm perfectly happy to take any questions on that basis. Bill, it was, it was good to hear um, that there seems to be quite a stringent anti-nuke voice in the SNP. And just while you were talking, it quite bleakly made me think, um, would the UK, the UK state even contemplate giving up it's nukes, and I was just curious as how much of that factors into their strategy not to grant an independence referendum. It's a perfectly decent question, absolutely, because I believe, I, I think we all know, um, that the British state believes in its, itself as being above and beyond just about anybody else, but certainly um, they rank themselves right at the very top. And, um, and as I say, the P5 the permanent five on the um, Security Council, the United Nations, as an established place for the UK. And uh, they, under no circumstances, could believe that they would no longer hold that position. Now, as it stands, the only way that you could hold that position and continue to do so is if you are a nuclear armed state. They'll fight tooth and nail to ensure that that isn't removed from their resume. I believe that, you know, we've had people... Uh, discussing and suggesting that uh, we could do a deal in order to help us get independence and allow the our, our UK as 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 it would be um, to maintain its uh, weapons here in Scotland is not acceptable under any circumstances. I don't know of anyone um, within the SNP who would think that that would be acceptable. And I know for a fact that there's no one in the hierarchy of the SNP would find that acceptable. As she said many times in the chamber and in public uh, meetings, uh, the First Minister has said she actually joined Scottish CND before she joined the SNP and her commitment is, uh, is not negotiable. That was the same for the for the previous First Minister and um, it's it, it runs right through the Cabinet as well. So... We will negotiate, certainly, with uh, London when it comes to independence, but one non-negotiation 
point would be over nuclear weapons. There is no negotiation on that. That's good to hear. Uh, a question from Andy. There are a number of nuclear states, but uh, can they be broken down simplistically into the US and countries that uh, would align themselves with the US and the Russian Federation and countries that would align themselves with that? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking particularly of, of Israel that uh, holds a, a significant nuclear arsenal uh, in an area that's otherwise uh, pretty much nuclear free. It would take a lot for Israel to give up what it they would see as a very important trump card in their uh, geopolitical strength. Yeah, thanks. The truth is that um, Russia and the US at the moment are not cooperating on an awful lot, but they have in the not too distant past cooperated in voicing uh, opposition to any kind of nuclear disarmament anywhere in the world. They worked together in order to maintain the fact that nuclear weapons, because it gives them a disproportionate uh, level, of, level of strength in, in economic and other uh, fields uh, in the world. Um, so they've got no intention, if they can help it, of giving up nuclear weapons unless they're pretty much forced to um, or negotiated into that state. It's not going to be easy, but it's, um, but it's one of those things. However, on top of um, that difficulty, the US, United States also, of course, has, has Britain and France nuclear weapons powers in its, uh, in its field. And in fact, Israel, um, as the strength that Israel has in, in the United States and in particular in, in American politics, um, although they would be pretty much see, uh, be seen as being a, a neutral, individ, independent, individual sort of state, uh, nuclear weapons-wise, the fact is that they would never be in the same um, box as Russia or China. Um, and if they are along, allied along with anybody in nuclear weapons parlance, it would be with the United States, it would be with America. Um, then, you, of course, you've got... Um, You've got Pakistan and India, um, who have both got them, and um, they've got them, and neither of them will give them up while the other one has them. Um, so that's, that's another aspect which has to be looked at. Um, the, Pakistan in particular um, has better relations with China than, than it certainly used to have. Um, India maintains um, good relations um, more with the West, um, uh, but we have to actually say that um, China um, has been one of the has been one of the strange factors in as much as it doesn't really have brilliant <laughs> for diplomatic relations in that sort of way with either uh, the US or with Russia. Um, although Russia has tried to bring them on board more in the past couple of years. Um, so China is, is one of the sides, I suppose, actually. Um, North Korea could be seen to be on China's side, and they would be as compared to anyone else's side, but the truth is that even China um, is embarrassed by North Korea's um, behaviour patterns. Um, 
As far as as far as um, nuclear weapons sides go, uh, yes, there there are potentially Russia um, is is looking to actually um, gather support as best it can, but not really. It doesn't really have the same sort of um, a is the same sort of clout with other countries in nuclear weapons terms as the US does. So it's in a difficult position. What it's doing uh, in terms of having taken over Crimea, and now it's um, it's actually uh, taking over effectively politically uh, countries like Belarus and other small um, former Soviet states. Um, it's looking to re-establish its influence uh, more economically and politically in that in its own. Um, sphere of influence, uh, rather than uh, supplying them with nuclear weapons to hold on its behalf, actually, so far anyway. Um, so I think uh, there are three sides, basically, um, along with, a, um, if you don't mind me using the language, a, a buggerness factor of Israel, because um, we don't know where they're going to go. But uh, US, Russia and China are the, are the three main um, the three main powers, uh, France and the UK, um, attach themselves to to America and pretend that they're an independent nuclear uh, force each. Um, so three, I would say. Thanks, Andy. Thank, thanks for your response, Bill. Bill, I want to sort of bring it back down to to a local level. What is the the situation on the ground in in Scotland? You know, are all of the nuclear warheads kept? in Scotland, or are they rotated around other parts of the UK? In terms of stockpiles, what's the, the situation there? Right, well, Coolport is where the uh, nuclear warheads are kept um, for operational reasons. Um, Coolport is very close to Faz Lane, as you'll know, and, um, and that's where the warheads are kept for operational reasons, loading and unloading of the submarines, etc. However, uh, Burfield, um, which is in the south of England, um, is, uh, is the scientific base where warheads are maintained, um, they're upgraded, etc., etc. Um, and there are um, convoys which travel um, from the south of England all the way up uh, and into Scotland and along the main um, public roads through towns, um, etc., and over bridges, and out to um, to Coolport and back. So the dangers of those potentially um, having a major or catastrophic accident, or even being hijacked, is not impossible. Actually, it's very unlikely, but not totally impossible. For anyone who knows, or has heard, or even watched television uh, films. Um, about what goes on in uh, in the Middle East, um, IEDs, um, you know, bombs planted at roadsides actually, because these these vehicles do travel along these roads on a on, on regular basis. Um, that even makes it very very dangerous with terrorism and the dangers that could be um, could result from these. Um, I don't mean that they'll, they'll blow up a nuclear weapon because it's not capable to do that simply by blowing, um, you know, um, having dynamite or whatever sort of thing. Um, 
but at the same time, the amount of radiation and the dangers that would actually uh, be suffered by communities is, is there. So, um, as I say, on the Clyde is the operational uh, base, but the maintenance and uh, the upgrading and the scientific side takes place down in the south of England. Yeah. Um, I was just going to uh, take the opportunity, uh, Bill, to share with you some results we did from a recent Yes Dunbar survey. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we did a survey of our members on a number of, number of issues, and uh, let me just uh, show you these, these findings. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, we're not a huge organisation. We, we've got just over 100 members, and we had about a 20% response rate. But uh, you can look at the bottom there, 74 should Scotland continue to be a member of NATO? And you can see the spectrum there, three people strongly disagreed, two disagreed, eight were neutral, um, and overall eight were in agreement. Um, so do you, don't really want to comment on that. Um, and we also then uh, went on to ask, Scotland should commit to rapid phasing out of nuclear weapons, including the removal of nuclear submarine support at Faz Lane. And you can see a spectrum there, quite a strong spectrum, that... Um, a total of 18 either agreed or strongly agreed, um, but three um, strongly disagreed with that. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered if you had any reflections on those survey findings and does that seem to be, bear out what you see in the wider independence movement? Yep, thank you. Um, on the second question there, actually, which I think is extremely important, 2012, um, I was at a conference, an international conference in Kazakhstan, and uh, Kazakhstan is a former Soviet Union uh, nation, it became independent in 1991. And I asked the UN ambassador from Kazakhstan how long it took, because Kazakhstan has no nuclear weapons based there now, um, but it was very much the centre um, for the Soviet Union's uh, nuclear weapons force. And... Um, so I thought, well, that's quite something. You know, you were where they were kept, and now you don't have any. And um, I said, how long did it take um, to have these removed? Because they had a lot more than what Scotland would actually um, has actually got here in terms of warheads. And he told me that it took four years for all of those nuclear weapons um, to be removed and um, taken into Russia. America paid for them to be removed, and Russia um, actually took them back uh, into its territory. Now, that's four years. So myself and John Ainsley, whom I mentioned previously, and Scottish CND, we had a a bit of discussion and a bit of work, which John carried out, because he was very, very good at that type of work. Um, And we came up with the idea, the ones that we have here in Scotland could be safely removed within a three-year period. We would say that they could be um, taken away from Scotland. Um, Our UK would um, then have them within its area, its um, its lands and waters, and it would then actually decide how it could handle those, although there is nowhere that they could operate them from. So on that basis, three years, uh, we could get them out of Scotland. And we could do it even faster, um, but you would not necessarily be doing that in a safe and uh, clean manner in which Coolport and Fazlane areas would actually be cleaned up as you went along. 
So three years is what we're talking about. The two things we surveyed people about were about attitudes to membership of NATO, where it was more kind of equal, um, and then specifically about, um, about nuclear disarmament. But I was asking how far do you think these sort of attitudes that we picked up bear out the wider independence movement? And in particular, I guess, people's likelihood to support independence when the next referendum comes. Yes. Uh, well, in terms of uh, in terms of NATO, um, NATO is uh, and has been a point of argument, um, certainly within the SNP and within the wider uh, Yes movement. Also, because um, in particular, because people uh, see NATO as um, as having a nuclear arch, basically, as you know, as um, as backbone. Um, is uh, on the basis mainly of um, of American nuclear weapons, but also UK and French. Um, and uh, if you're against nuclear weapons, why would you want to be a member of an organisation which um, which has nuclear weapons as a core element? Um, I personally, I, I believe that that is that's logical and sensible. At the same time. Um, I I don't know that we, in a world such as it stands at the moment, we are getting rid of nuclear weapons on independence, but in a world as it stands at the moment, um, the idea that um, that the Scottish people, the electorate, the people whom we're looking to vote for independence would necessarily want us to jump as quickly as that um, into a circumstance where we were we'd left NATO as well. Now, I would be perfectly prepared in an independent Scotland to argue for um, for us to be out of NATO um, on, as much as anything else on the on the back on the on the point that NATO does um, station its nuclear weapons uh, in other U- U- European countries. Um, which European host countries, as they're called, um, and I'm not in favour of of that. Uh, although I do know that um, there are fewer host countries now in Europe uh, than obviously than uh, than the US would actually like there to be, and that they're very unpopular in countries such as um, such as the Netherlands and um, and Germany. So I think that we we'd be looking at uh, NATO as being an argument, a point of argument, which if anybody asked me, I would explain to them um, that Scotland should be or will be a nuclear weapons free country. And I'm aware that NATO does have nuclear weapons. So there's negotiations and, and discussions to be had there. At the same time, I could actually say that Ireland and, uh, and Kazakhstan, whom I mentioned earlier, uh, both of those um, uh, countries are uh, are members of NATO, and they have signed the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons and argue within NATO that nuclear weapons are not the the way forward. So there's ways and there's ways and ways of presenting things. It's not as simplistic as as um, people may think. Indeed, it's a fact that NATO is. Uh, it's, it's a wee bit like uh, 
being part of the British Empire, you sign up to something um, and you're, if you're, we never signed up to the British Empire, but you would be signing up to something which internationally is a bit of a, a bully boy on occasion. And um, I think that it's something that I'm not all that chuffed about as being a member of, but at the same time, I am not very keen on the idea of Mr. Putin and Russia throwing his weight around, um, the same as everybody else. And I think you'd find it a bit difficult to sell the idea that Scotland would become an independent nation and um, and would immediately leave NATO at the same time. We get rid of nuclear weapons and people will be happy with that, but they might feel that, um, that there's still a necessity in this sort of world that we live in at the moment that we do have this type of organisation to be a member of as well. The, the sort of posturing by America uh, and the sort of ramming up to the Russian border uh, and uh, co-opting other NATO countries for keeping their weapons in is, is quite an aggressive stance. Uh, Russia doesn't do that to America, as it were, but it does it to the European border, obviously. So do you think the Russians would be encouraged to de-escalate if... if America kind of toned it down a little bit. They seem to be on a bit of a, a roll at the moment. Uh, thanks, Catherine. I, th- I do think that there is a um, there's a logic there, and there is the, the world that we live in is a place which really isn't as different from the world that people lived in in the lead up to the First World War as we would like it to be. I think we really have to look seriously at these major powers, um, sort of. A ramping up pressure on each other and it works on both sides it's not just Russia um, the US in particular um, through NATO is, is very keen on having nuclear weapons uh, within uh, Europe and um, I don't think that they should be there, I don't think they're necessary um, and I think that yes um, I do believe that Russia would be less belligerent if the US if the US wasn't actually carrying out this sort of placing of these nuclear weapons um, in European countries. The host countries that I mentioned earlier, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's also potential for Taiwan, China to kick off if they decide to do that as well, obviously. But, um, that's probably not less of a problem immediately uh, to our location, but yeah. the world... Well, yeah, that's true. Actually, one of the one of the surprising things to me when uh, we were um, we were there for the negotiations in the UN about the um, over uh, the treaty and the prohibition of nuclear weapons was that Japan um, was not willing to sign um, and were seen to be very much in the pockets of of the United States, even though Japan. Um, is the only country where these weapons have actually been used in in a wartime situation, and they're not popular, you know. But but within the Japanese political body, because China's not that far away and Russia's just to the north, eh, they do seem to feel as if they want to be seen to have American protection there. So yeah, and Taiwan's maybe a different situation, of course, but um, potentially, as you say, Taiwan and China. Um, we we have to we have to look at 
lowering the temperature um, between countries. And I do, I do think that your question makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. This was something that I read in passing, and I'm not sure if there are any implications or not uh, for when we join, if we join the EU, are there any uh, agreements that would mean that we were likely to have to join NATO or more likely to join NATO? And the Lisbon one seemed to be mentioned in something I was reading, so I just wanted to clear that up because I'm not sure. I'm not an expert on that, um, but to my knowledge, uh, no, you don't have to join NATO in joining the EU. There are countries within uh, the EU who are not NATO members, actually. And so I, no, I don't see that as being likely. Um, I do believe, though, that um, what we would be able to do as as proper full members of the EU would be to um, put some pressure on as Ireland does. I mean, I've I've got friends in Ireland um, uh, from these conferences um, who regularly negotiate um, without full powers, but negotiate by talking to ambassador level um, that the countries shouldn't be host countries to to American nuclear weapons, even if they are in NATO. So I. I I don't think that um, we have, would have to be in NATO at all, um, to my knowledge anyway, by being in the EU. Bill, I'm just curious, the, the group that you're in of parliamentarians, is that a group specific to Holyrood or does that include Westminster? Yeah, um, I'm a co-president of PNND, um, which is um, <laughs> Parliamentarians for Non-Nuclear Proliferation and Disarmament. And um, though it's an international body, um, there are uh, there are nine hundred and forty odd, I believe, at the moment nine hundred and fifty um, MPs from uh, ninety countries um, around the world who are members of this organisation. And um, this is a an organisation which um, a has genuine influence in in many countries um, and it provides an opportunity um, to bring people together um, as parliamentarians and and help to raise the profile of nuclear disarmament across the world, actually. Pardon me. Um, No, there are um, people from uh, Westminster in, in this, um, but this is uh, the, the letter that we we wrote um, to um, Joe Biden um, was signed by um, by people from across. Um, they were PNND members, um, but you've got people in there from Luxembourg, Slovenia, Germany, um, the USA, Canada. It's Hungary, it's Belgium, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there are people from ninety countries who are actually members of that organisation. Okay, thank you. Um, just another question from Andy: mm-hmm. What are the chances of U.S. defence contractors giving up the work that is their bread and butter when these companies have such clout in the U.S. Congress? Yep, it's an extremely good question. The way that um, the U.S. government over the years has actually um, has maintained the the stronghold that nuclear weapons holds in America 
uh, is to spread these important uh, bases across the country and and really there are towns and even cities that are very heavily dependent on these um, bases actually you know um, I think one of the things that uh, we'd be looking to do here in Scotland uh, with Faz Lane and, um, and Coolport, particularly Faz Lane, would be to look to develop the renewables industry and the way that things are going now in terms of um, oil and gas and, uh, and carbon um, generation of energy is that that is beginning to, uh, to fall back noticeably, actually, uh, in terms of the future development of how you generate electricity and power. And we'd be looking to, to use FAS Lane and the workforce there uh, with interchangeable skills of engineering to go forward and doing that sort of thing. And I think that we could show um, American towns and cities that that is a way forward also, actually. Simple, you know, turkeys don't vote for Christmas, they say, and all this sort of stuff, you know I mean? You can't just say uh, to people, look, at, and we know that this is your livelihood, but we're taking it away from you. Why don't you vote for us? There's, you have to present them with something else that's going to take its place, actually. And that's that's a route forward. Catherine's just got one last question. She asks, so there is no possibility of us, meaning, uh, I guess, a, a, an indie yeah. uh, Scottish government being persuaded to rent out Faz Lane to house Trident. There's nowhere in the UK which can potentially house it. Yes, that's uh, there's no possibility. And um, uh, if we're going for an independent Scotland, I don't know of any organisation um, which is working towards independence, which would look to think that that would be a route forward. Certainly the Scottish Government has got no intentions of doing so. We would, as I say, we'd be looking to have to have the nuclear weapons um, out of Fasley and Coolport and for that area to be used as a conventional uh, naval base and as an area for the development of renewables and the investment would be there to do that. That's the intention. Now, as I say, the UK would not be happy because of the dangers of them losing um, their um, influence internationally in terms of having um, a you know, position at the United Nations and the Security Council permanently. Um, so they would try and look to do a lot, I don't doubt, uh, to try and uh, have us, you know, have them rent it from us or whatever. Um, but that's not going to happen. There is, though, nowhere else which can be seen to be able to house Trident in these islands. And on that basis, um, then the UK um, would actually be looking to um, a future without nuclear weapons. And I'm sure that that would be welcomed hugely in an international context as well. Yeah, Bill, thank you. My big takeaway from your um, chat was actually, I hadn't realised on how reliant on Scottish geography the UK state is for the, um, the housing of, the, of the, the submarines. I can see how stringent they're going to be <laughs> when, uh, when it comes to asking them for another uh, independence um, referendum, which, by the way, Bill, is it going to happen this next year? It is very much on the way. Um, I know that Mike Russell 
former cabinet secretary and now the president of the SNP, is uh, very much leading on uh, on putting things together, getting them prepared. Yeah. Um, he's, he's got a brilliant mind for that type of approach and I'm very pleased that it's him that's going to be doing that. Um, yes, we definitely will be having it um, in, in the new year, next year that is. Um, so it uh, will be announced in good time uh, to give people the opportunity to get involved and give organisations such as Yeston Bar the wherewithal in terms of getting out there in the street and um, there'll be materials and all that, no doubt, actually, um, because I know for a fact that in the same way as uh, as we had Yes Scotland and all the all the fundraising and etc. the last time, uh, that will be taken off as well, actually, yeah. Okay, as activists, we can be confident going forward about the fact that the nuclear weapons is a is a non-negotiable in a independent Scotland. And a central core element as well, actually, in terms of discussions and all that. It's not something that's just going to come in in the fringes. This is going to be very much to the fore, yeah. All right. Well, look, uh, Bill, thank you very much for giving us your time this evening. Much appreciated. And we'll um, we'll hopefully catch up with you on the campaign trail. Uh, well, it's very kind of you all. And um, I, I hope everything goes very well for um, Yeston Bar. And uh, good luck for the future. And we can all go together, go forward. Yeah, thanks. You're listening to Scottish Independence Podcast. And that was a meeting organised by Yeston Bar with Bill Kidd, MSP. If you'd like to find out more about the Eston Bar Group or perhaps contact them, you'll find them on Facebook. They're pretty active and they run a series of online meetings. And the team here at Scottish Independence Podcast would just like to say thank you once again, Eston Bar, for letting us record the meeting. <laughs>